See, as Matt says, the reading's up there on the screen. So you're looking for page 1066, John chapter 4. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, he was, it was not Jesus who was baptizing, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once again to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, "If If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is Spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one, you, the one speaking to you, I am he. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then, leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town 
and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps, is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything. He, sorry. He told me everything I've ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Thank you, Fiona. Uh, please do keep your uh, Bibles open to that page. Um, it's always good to check on what I'm saying as I'm saying it. Let's pray before we dive into God's Word. Father, it is evident from this passage that Jesus was the expert at revealing himself. Lord, we do so wish for you to be revealing Jesus to us today. We cannot do it ourselves. We need your spirit to be at work, opening blind eyes, opening hard hearts to receive your message, to show us Jesus, that we could glorify him and worship him in spirit and in truth. So would you be with us this evening, great God, helping us to see your son, to see all he has accomplished for us, and to receive the eternal life he is holding out to us. Amen. This evening, I would love to introduce you to someone really special. This person has had a profound effect on my life. I love to speak about this person. In fact, you may have even heard me speaking about him before. Let me introduce you. This is Carter Beaufort. He's the drummer with Dave Matthews Band. And without a shadow of a doubt, he is the best drummer this world has ever known. He can do things with a hi-hat. That's the, uh, the uh, symbols you control with your feet. He can do things with a hi-hat, which the rest of us can only dream of. He powers through grooves with dynamism and sensitivity. He is the complete package. When I first heard him, I was blown away by what he could do on a drum kit. And he's been the biggest influence uh, on my playing. If you and I have ever had a conversation about music, 
chances are I will have told you about Carter Beaufort. Do check him out there. He's an incredible drummer. See, we all have things which we're enthusiastic about, whether that's a band or a particular piece of music, our research, our jobs, our families. Perhaps it's something on TV. Uh, Perhaps we have fans of Poldark in here. Perhaps we just have fans of Adrian Turner. It's the things that we're quick to share on Facebook. Here, have a look at this. Let me tell you about that. I wonder, why is it that we're so enthusiastic to share these things with other people? Why do we delight in, in certain things, in, in, certain, in certain people? What is it about Carter Beaufort that makes me want to tell you about him? Our passage this evening uh, is the sequel to the Samaritan woman meeting Jesus. If you were here this morning, you would have heard David Todd preaching on the first half of this episode, verses 1 to 26. And if you weren't here, can I encourage you to go away and listen to it online? We saw how this woman discovers that Jesus knows all about her. He knows all the things that she's ashamed of. And even then, he still promises her living water generously and graciously offering her eternal life. You see, it's as if she spent her whole life in a desert. She's dying of thirst, and only Jesus can give her the kind of water which will quench that thirst. Water he calls living water. It's the promise he holds out to her, and it's the promise he holds out to us this evening. Living water which will truly satisfy our thirst. It's the thirst we try to quench elsewhere. Our education, our career, the money we earn, the respect we have from our peers, our our families, the right look, the right style, the right body shape. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things per se, but if we're trusting in them to quench that thirst in us, then it's like we are walking into a desert looking for water. No, no. Only Jesus, we heard this morning, can give living, thirst-quenching water. Only Jesus can give eternal life. And it ends with this exchange from verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus has declared himself the Messiah. He's claimed that he knows what our lives are like. He's claimed to be able to offer eternal life and that he alone can reveal God. But this morning we were left left with a cliffhanger. How will the woman respond? Let's, uh, let's look at this evening's passage. Uh, we're only going to be looking at verses uh, 27 to, to 42, but, but it's all part of the same uh, episode. That's why uh, we got Fiona to read the entire thing. 
Uh, picture it like a, a Cornetto ice cream. Uh, it's one ice cream, uh, but it has two distinct parts. We all know what I'm talking about, right? A, a Cornetto. You have the, the, the first bit, the lovely creamy strawberry flavor at the top. Then as you finish that, oh, joy of joys, you have this uh, sweet, succulent cone, which you can enjoy afterwards. And right at the end of the cone, there's this amazing chocolatey hit. This is what our passage is like. We've got the, uh, the sweet succulent cone with this amazing chocolatey hint. Uh, and we've got, I've got three headings for us to look at uh, while we go through this passage. Firstly, that Jesus is worth talking about because he brings eternal life for the whole world. Jesus is worth talking about because he brings eternal life for the whole world. Uh, and whether you're here today uh, and you're already a believer, you're, you're already trusting in Jesus, or, or you're here and you're just exploring the Christian faith, uh, and you still have big questions, uh, there's stuff in this passage which is here for all of us to hear. For the Christians in the room, it can be easy for us to get the wrong message from this passage. I'm quick to read it and think that the whole point is that I should be better at evangelism, as if John is trying to make me feel guilty about how little I tell people about Jesus, as if I should be comparing myself to this woman. Please, please don't fall into that trap this evening. John isn't trying to make us feel guilty about how we share our faith. Let's remember why John is writing. These are his words from the end of the book on the screen. These are written that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. You're going to hear these verses a lot as we go through the series in John, because this is John's big concern, that we see Jesus, that we believe in him, and in doing so, have life in his name. And this passage is true to form. This passage is here to put Jesus on display and for us to see him. It's as if you've gone to a museum or an art gallery, and on the wall is the most amazing picture you have ever seen. The curator of the, of the art museum or the, or the uh, gallery hasn't put it there so that you can get into the habit of thinking, how am I going to bring people to see this painting? Obviously, she, that would be nice, but she's put it there so that we can see it and enjoy it. So we have this passage today. John's putting Jesus on display so that we can see him and enjoy him. So that's why this passage is for people who are already Christians and for those who aren't. As far as John's concerned, we all need to see Jesus. We all need to keep seeing Jesus. Which is why the climax of our passage is verse 42. The people of the town make this declaration. Read with me. We know that this man, Jesus, really is the saviour of the world. Uh, This is where, uh, in the words of David Todd, John lands his passage. This is what he wants us to see. This is where we're we're heading this evening. We want to see that Jesus is the saviour of the world. So, let's dive in. Uh, Firstly, Jesus is worth talking about. Look with me at verse 27. Just then, his disciples returned, 
and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want, or why are you talking with her? This is not at all what the disciples are expecting. David mentioned the context of ethnic tensions between Jews and Samaritans. So so in a Jewish culture, if you were a respected man, if you were a rabbi, as they call him, you wouldn't be caught, A, speaking to a woman, particularly by yourself, or B, speaking to a Samaritan woman. But Jesus is always turning our expectations upside down. Here, he's challenging his disciples' view, and he's challenging our view about the kind of people that he wants to show tenderness and mercy to. Even this Samaritan woman, with all of her history, receives grace from Jesus, and it surprises his disciples. So as this large group of Jewish men arrive, uh, the Samaritan woman takes the opportunity to head back to town. But look how she does it. I wonder if you noticed that detail the first time we read it through. Verse 28, then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town. No one who's made a decision to come out in the middle of the day when it's hottest to draw water leaves their water jar behind unless they're planning to come back to it. She hasn't forgotten it. She's left it there because she is eager to get back to the town. And she's eager to share who she's met. The passage goes on. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Messiah? You see what's going on here. This is a woman who, who normally avoids people at all costs. She goes to draw water in the middle of the day so she doesn't have to see anybody. She would rather go thirsty for the entire morning than meet the women who were going there first thing. Yet here she is, running into the middle of the town and calling everybody to her to hear what she has to say. She is an odd choice if your aim is to spread good news quickly. Most of us don't even like giving speeches when we're surrounded by our friends and family. uh, Weddings, for example. Let alone when we're surrounded by people who should despise us, who've made us social outcasts. You can uh, ask Sasha about my own disastrous wedding speech after the service if you'd like. Can you imagine just how terrifying it would have been for her to do this? And look what she has to say. Come, see a man who told me everything I've ever done. You know, that word everything, it's not literal. Uh, She wasn't saying that Jesus spoke to her about when she brushed her teeth or or what she had for dinner last night. What, What she means is that everything that was meaningful to her, her life, completely exposed before Jesus. These five men that she'd married, the the guy she's currently sleeping with, her shame, the pain of her broken relationships, all lying bare before Jesus. He told me everything I've done. What's she trying to say? Well, I think she's trying to say this, that that, that he knows the heaviest burden she's been carrying. He knows that about her, and yet he still wants to treat her with love 
with tenderness. He still wanted to offer her living water, eternal life. And the result of that one short conversation with Jesus means that she's got enough to overcome her fear and begin calling out in the middle of the town. And we kind, of, we kind of get this, don't we? There are just some things which we, which we are too eager to talk about. I've just got one example of this. Uh, on Wednesday, I was having coffee uh, with Oscar. Uh, some of you know Oscar. Uh, he's the guy that you uh, speak to if you want to keep anything alive in your garden. Uh, I was at Wolfson where, where uh, Oscar works as a, as a gardener. And after we finished our coffee, he took me on a walk around his grounds. And he got so into telling me about everything that he's doing. And I'm sorry, Oscar, I can't remember everything you were saying. Um, but he was, he was just so enthusiastic and so excited to share it with me uh, that he was actually 15 minutes late coming off his break. Um, and as we're walking around, I know he's late at this point because he's told me and he doesn't care. Um, but we bump into his boss. Oscar's 15 minutes late getting back from, get, getting back from his break. And we bump into his boss and I'm sat there thinking, oh no, oh, I've got Oscar in trouble here. He, he's going to get, I don't know, he, Oscar's going to get fired, you know, taking liberties with a friend at work. But that's not what happened because, because as soon as uh, Oscar introduced me to his boss, his boss started getting so enthusiastic that he stopped what he was doing and started talking about the garden as well. They were just, they just, there was something so, so exciting to share that they couldn't just think about work. They just had to stop what they were doing and, and share it. That's what's happening with this woman. Jesus is just so good that the other stuff just doesn't matter anymore. And look again how, how she does it. There's no clever four-point explanation of the gospel. She doesn't have a worked-out systematic doctrine. She hasn't spent three years at theology college. She doesn't even know about the cross, that decisive moment of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. This is what she knows. That Jesus cares about her in the midst of her awkward, shameful situation. And that he offers her true satisfaction. Living water. Eternal life. And so she runs back to the town. And, and John, and like John, her message is simply Jesus. But I do wonder, is that an attractive message? Come and meet a guy who told me everything I've ever done. Come and meet a guy who exposed my shame publicly. I wonder if you were here when um, David had his envelope. An envelope where we could imagine the, the things which we're ashamed of. Would we really want Jesus to open that? Would the people of this town really want to go and meet a guy who's going to expose all of their guilt and their sin? Well, apparently they do. Because on top of being honest and real about where we are with our lives, Jesus offers redemption, forgiveness, freedom. And they're seeing it in this woman that the proof that she's standing right in front of them, telling them about Jesus, means something completely life-changing has happened to her. And they want some of that. And so we get this verse. Verse 30. They came out of the town 
and made their way towards him. As far as John is concerned, the only qualification we need for, talk, for, for talking about Jesus is knowing Jesus. We don't need to defend how the church works, particularly in those, those dark moments where the church has got it wrong. We don't have to engage in philosophical debates about whether uh, God is real or not. It's about knowing Jesus and sharing your testimony about what he has done for you. Those other things, of course, they have their place. But like the woman, we can all say, come and meet Jesus. This is what he's like. This is what he's done for me. See, Jesus is worth knowing. And when you know him, Jesus is worth talking about. Then in verse 31, we get this meanwhile, and the action switches back to Jesus. This is our second point, that Jesus is worth talking about because he loves to bring eternal life. He's now talking with his disciples. This this, this section's a bit tricky. There's a a lot going on, so we're going to unpack it. Um, But this is effectively, this this next section from uh, verses 31 down to verse 38, it's effectively the heart of the passage. Why do I say that? Well, because it explains what happened before. It explains what Jesus was doing when he was speaking to the woman. It explains why she reacted the way she did. But it also explains what's coming next. It's pointing towards this great line, verse 42, that this man really is the saviour of the world. So let's look at what happens. Read with me from verse 31. Meanwhile, His disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. His disciples come back with the food they've come to get and they offer it to Jesus, but he gives this cryptic reply, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Now, before we start picturing that uh, Jesus walks around with a a secret horde of Kit Kats, which he doesn't like to share, um, he's not talking about literal food. He's using this as an opportunity to talk about something else. He's done it before. Uh, Back in chapter chapter 4, verse 10, He moves from talking about literal water to talking about living water. Chapter 3, verse 3, he uses the image of being born, but he's talking about spiritual birth. In chapter 2, verse 19, he talks about destroying the temple and rebuilding it uh, in three days. But he's talking about his body. In John's gospel, Jesus has a way of using the everyday to talk about much bigger things. And this is true to form. This is what we have here. Instead of literal food, verse 34, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. What on earth is he talking about? Jesus, what on earth are you talking about? Well, thankfully, uh, John, in his, uh, in his wisdom, has given us some clues. Um, John chapter 6, verse 40, I think it's going to, here it is, uh, says this. Sorry, that might be a bit small. John 6, uh, verse 40 says this, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up 
at the last day. My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And in John uh, 12, verse 49, he says this, For I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So what is the will of the one who sent me in chapter 4? Well, it's to bring eternal life. But what does Jesus mean that that this is his food? What's, what's that about? So, so we get what his work is. His work is to bring eternal life. How could that in any way be his food? Well, for the rest of us, food allows us to get on with the work that we have to do. It gives us the sustenance, the energy we need. It's what satisfies us. So, so we eat food so that we can do our work. But that's not what Jesus says about himself. He says his food is to do the work which he's been sent for. So for him, his, his work helps him to do the work which he's been sent for. It's bizarre. But I think it means this, that, that as he meets people, as he speaks with them, as he calls people to himself, as he brings them life, he is completely satisfied. He is completely satisfied. That's what drives him. Now, of course, in his human nature, he's going to need physical food. We're not going to get into a debate about uh, the the dual nature of Christ here. Um, But hear what John is trying to uh, tell us about Jesus. That he's driven by this desire to bring life. Like a runner tearing down the track, he's just yearning to bring life. And he's going to achieve it. At all costs, he was going to achieve it. At the cost of his own life, at the cross. He's going to bring life to his disciples to the woman at the well to you and to me that's his aim that's his mission that's his his desire and as we hear that jesus is the one who wants to bring life we should be able to hear the echoes of john chapter one through him all things were made without him nothing was made that has been made in him was life in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind These are not the claims that you make about someone who is just a wise and a good teacher. This is not what you say about somebody whose message is only due to other people as you would have them do to you. These are words that you can only make about one person. God. About the one who brought everything into being and gave it life. About the one who even now is recreating, restoring, and giving new life to a dying world. Water, food, the the two images we have in, in this passage, they're fundamental to us for living. And yet Jesus takes them and he says that they point to him. This is what he says, that there's something even more fundamental that you need to survive that you need to live, and it's me. It's Jesus. You can hear the arguments. I'm not dead. In fact, as far as I know, I'm not even dying. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. We're all dying. We all know what it's like to live away from the true source of life. 
And for some of us, the, the, the presence or the fear of death is very real this week. But the difference between facing death with hope, knowing that is not, it is not the end, and facing death as, as something inevitable which cannot be conquered is the difference between knowing Jesus Christ and trusting in him and not trusting in him. In verse 35, Jesus moves on to this picture of sowing and reaping crops. And and again, he's not talking literally. Um, Jesus asks them to open their eyes and to see that the fields are ready for harvesting. Picture that for a second. They're, they're, They're four months before harvest's due. And he's asking them to open their eyes and look around at the fields. And it would have been obvious. Of course the fields aren't ready for harvesting. We're four months away. That's not what he means. What would they have seen instead? Well, they would have seen the town, these, these, these town of Samaritan people coming out to them, the town of, of people who had heard the woman's testimony and were now coming to meet Jesus for themselves. This is what Jesus is asking them to see. It's these people. They are the harvest Jesus is talking about. They don't know it yet, but, but these people are about to receive eternal life at the hands of Jesus and I'm in glory I look forward to meeting some of these people asking them what it was like that'd be awesome and his disciples are going to have the joy of joining Jesus as he does this work as he brings eternal life that's what he means in verse 38 I sent you to reap what you have not worked for others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor You see, the disciples weren't the ones gathering the crowd. They were off buying food. It's Jesus who initiates the conversation with the woman. And she's the one who goes off and tells the town. Jesus, and to a lesser extent the woman, are the ones who are sowing. But the disciples get the joy of joining him in the work. I remember as a a three-year-old, I say I remember, I've seen the video of it. As a three-year-old, I helped my dad to build a patio. He uh, had this huge uh, pile of, of stones which he needed to lay as the foundation in the back garden. Uh, and he had this massive wheelbarrow which he would shovel uh, huge piles of, of the stones into and he'd wheel through. And I had this, this ditty little plastic thing. I mean, it was almost broke. Uh, and I would pick up a, a small handful, maybe, maybe two or three stones with my tiny three-year-old hands. And I'd drop them uh, proudly into my wheelbarrow. Uh, and then I'd follow my dad as he went into the back garden and started laying them down. And I was so proud to be able to help my dad as he was building this patio. That's what it's like as we join Jesus in this work of bringing faith. We, we often think that, that we're the ones who have to achieve it, we're the ones who have to do it, but we only have a small part in bringing people to faith. This is God's work, drawing people to Jesus through the Spirit. It, it's Jesus who's driven to bring life. And we just have the privilege of joining him as he goes about doing it. We sometimes think we have to get all of our strategies right. But really, we're just desperate to keep up with what he's already doing. We're far, far behind our master as he seeks to bring life. Even today, even this evening, he's at work. And Jesus says that the timing of this work is in his hands. 
We have to wait for the right season to sow our crops and to harvest them, but, but not for the harvest of eternal life. Even now, he says, even now. You see, it's good that Christchurch is a church with a plan. It's good that we are a church with a vision. But even then, listen to what Steve Mitchie wrote about it in the Vision magazine. Our power is so very constrained. But we serve a God who can do all things. Which means our vision must always be submitted to his. And his vision is this, that Christ might be glorified among his people. Do we trust that we serve a God who is ready to bring life? Will we join him? And if we join him, this is what we need to do, to trust God, pray hard, and expect much. Trust God, pray hard, expect much, which, you know, this is my point for plugging prayer 150 do you come along to prayer 150 join us as we pray for the work of this church as we seek to see jesus bringing life to cambridge perhaps there are one or two people in this room maybe more who've yet to put their trust in jesus perhaps you've never quite got religion or church those questions are still too big perhaps you never quite thought you were good enough for god Is Jesus calling you now? Is he calling you this evening? Is it time to receive living water? To receive eternal life? Perhaps now you're thinking, could he mean me? Is this for me? Uh, And this brings us to our final point, that Jesus is worth talking about because he brings eternal life for the whole world. We're just going to go through this bit uh, quite quickly. But read with me from verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Many of the Samaritans in that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. You can't forget the the ethnic division between the Jews and the Samaritans at this point. For for John's early readers, this would have come as a complete shock. I I imagine for his disciples, as as they see this town gathering upon them and Jesus saying that they are going to be the ones who receive eternal life I guess they were shocked as well one sinful Samaritan woman is surely enough a whole town of them Jesus what are you doing this is what he's doing reminding us then reminding us that the salvation he offers, that the eternal life he offers, is not limited to one people group. It is for everybody, regardless of background, regardless of of how well you, you knew his Jewish Torah, regardless of what you've done, how much you've achieved, how little you've achieved. This is for everybody. Jesus is the source of eternal life. And and because he's the source of eternal life, the life he offers never runs out. The life he offers is never runs out. So if your question is, could this be for me? The answer is yes. Come. Receive life from Jesus. 
not from me, not from the church, not from our church leaders, from Jesus. Which is why John can finally land this passage in verse 42. As the people respond to the woman's testimony and meet Jesus for themselves, this is what they are able to declare. We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. So as we wrap up, Jesus is worth talking about because he brings eternal life for the whole world. We're just about to finish, but but a few things for you to take away or to think about. If you're already trusting in Jesus, ask yourself, is my enthusiasm for Jesus like this woman's? And if it's not, can I please encourage you to dig into John's gospel a little deeper, praying that the Spirit would reveal Christ for you. John writes so that Jesus can go on display. The whole purpose is that you would see him and enjoy him and glorify him. So if you're in a place where that's not you right now, please uh, embed yourself in John's gospel. Go further. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, please just think through what's getting in the way. We don't want to put any pressure on you. But if you do think that now is the time to receive his gift of life, I'm going to be sharing a prayer in a moment And you're more than welcome to repeat it in your own hearts. And I just want to end with these words from John Tuckwell. Uh, And yes, I'm very aware that I've now quoted John and Steve and David uh, in one sermon. That was a complete uh, mistake. Couldn't help it. These words are too good. John John wrote these as uh, uh, as he was inducted into Christ Church Cot Foster's. Something that has become very clear to me in my seven years of ordained ministry is that I can't make people believe and I can't sort out the hurts of, of their lives. Yet I have a God who promises to do just that and through his word, he changes lives. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you have sent Jesus to do your work to bring eternal life. Lord, glorify Jesus so that we might turn to him. Spirit, come. Bring living water in the name of Jesus. Lord, we can do nothing to bring new life, to bring forgiveness, to bring faith. You alone can do that. So we pray, Lord, that you would come and pour out your blessing of eternal life right here this evening. And for those of you who want to make that first step to committing to Jesus, to trusting Jesus. These are words for you to repeat in your heart. Father God, you have shown me a glimpse of Jesus and it is enough for me to believe in his name. I hold my past wrongdoing, my present brokenness before you, trusting only in Jesus. I recognize that I don't deserve the eternal life you are offering. But I receive it gladly as your free gift. Send your Holy Spirit into my heart so that that you can be at work changing me from the inside and so that I can worship you in spirit and in truth. In the name of your Son, Jesus.
for the sake of Jesus. Lord, hear our prayers. Amen.